All right, as the uh, as the kids are making their way out, if the if the college students wanted to kind of reclaim your seats that the kids took back tonight, you're more than welcome to do that in our transition time. Oh man, that's funny. Thank you guys for uh, for the time of worship and and to everyone who got up and spoke. Um, thank you, because one, it's it's just encouraging to hear how God is moving. Um, but also, I just know it can be a little scary sometimes to just stand up in front of a group of people and talk, right? Even if it's, if, if it's church family. So thank you for, for, for doing that. Um, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to uh, pick up in our series, The King's Speech, as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we're going to be in, in what might be the most familiar part of the Sermon on the Mount. And that is the, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, again, that's in Matthew 6. You can turn there. Uh, it's interesting. I actually learned the Lord's Prayer as a as a little boy, not because I was in church, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't go to church, but I, I grew up in East North Carolina, which is you know the heart of the Bible Belt. And I learned the Lord's Prayer because I played baseball, and we would we would say the Lord's Prayer before the game. So we you know we'd all huddle up, put our hands in, and bow our heads. And the first time that happened, I didn't know what they were saying, you know, because. I wasn't a, a believer at the time and wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I, I quickly learned just through listening, you know, the Lord's Prayer. So, um, so it's just kind of funny to me that that's, that's actually, this is actually the first scripture that I memorized and was not even a, a believer at the time. So did any of you as a kid, for whatever reason, whether it was baseball or church, learn to recite the Lord's Prayer? Show of hands. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, What's interesting is I kind of look back on that time. I was, you know, like I had no idea what I was, what I was saying, you know, what I, what my prayer was. I was just reciting these words. Like I, I, in a very superficial sense, like I understood the words, but I didn't understand the meaning behind the words in the Lord's prayer. And I wonder how many uh, of us today, even as adults, like, do we really get what Jesus is saying when He gives us this this model of of how to pray. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 9, but before we do that, I just want to, by way of reminder, provide a little context for this, the, the Lord's Prayer. Um, last week, you might recall, Jesus opens chapter 6 with telling us that it's actually possible for us to do uh, a good thing in a bad way. He says, when you, when you give to the needy, don't do it to get attention right when you pray don't stand on the corners and pray out loud for people to go oh man, that's such a spiritual guy over there yeah <laughs> there you go and and then we actually skip past the lord's prayer so then we, we read verses 16 through 18 where the same theme continues he says hey, if you're gonna fast don't wear a gloomy face and act like you're all starving because you want people to think you're some super spiritual person and so right in the middle of that, so sandwiched between the instruction on how we are not to pray and how we are not to fast is this explanation. It is, it is the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so I just wanted to, to provide some context because I don't know that I've ever actually heard anyone who, who spoke on the Lord's Prayer kind of provide the context around it. We'll actually talk a little bit about that uh, more in a little bit. So since some of you know the Lord's Prayer and can recite it by heart, I'm going to have you actually do that. So I'm going to read the first just couple of words in verse 9, and then I'll motion to you, and I want you to recite the Lord's Prayer. And look, it doesn't matter if you say, you know, debts or transgressions or whatever you, trespasses, whatever. It'll all work out in the end, I'm sure. Um, 
and, and hey, if you have not memorized the Lord's Prayer, it's all good. You got a Bible in your in your lap or in your hand, so just pretend, and it's all good because we would we won't know the difference. Okay, everyone with me on that? All right. So Jesus says, verse nine: Pray then in this way. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, so let's walk slowly through this. Uh, we're going to just look at at kind of a little section of verse at a time as we walk through and. And uh, I think I pray that that it will it will cause us to inspect the way we pray and and probably change the way we pray. The prayer starts with this: "Our Father." And we'll go ahead and pause. We just sang that song, "Good, Good Father," right? The, Jesus is is letting us know, letting his followers know that that God created us to be in relationship with Him. Like, that's the purpose of our existence. He wants to know us personally. This, the same God who, who created wants to know us on, a, on an intimate, personal level, which is a pretty astounding thought. Like, what's the, what's the most spectacular view of creation you've ever seen? Anyone? Space. Oh man, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, the water. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even today, right? Today, I went out and I uh, we watched Daniel play soccer this morning, and we're sitting there, and, and the sky is just gray for as long. Like it doesn't matter what direction you look, as far as you can see, it's just gray and it's drizzling. And somebody go, man, today was like a just a horrible day weather-wise. No, like if you look up and you, like how amazing is that God created today, at least in San Antonio, where all you, like you couldn't see any blue sky at all. It's just gray forever. You know, one of the, I don't like to travel with work, but you guys know I travel a lot. But one of the things I actually do enjoy about traveling is, is when the plane takes off and it breaks up above the clouds, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, it's a totally different view. You're not looking up at clouds. Now you're like looking down and, and sometimes they're just like those, they're like big cotton balls. They're just so soft and flat. They just roll forever. And then, the, and then you look out and blue sky way out in the distance, just this line, and then you see the sun. and just It's just glorious and it's beautiful. And you heard these ladies and, and, and Rudy shared how God is moving. Like he's in control of the migration of people around the globe. He's in control. He's amazing. The God who can do all of that wants to know you intimately and personally as a father to his child. That's, that seems almost impossible, you know? Um, but, but it's true. That is, that is how God wants to have a relationship with us. Our Father who art in heaven that's such a good reminder we've talked about this church you know there's this there's this theory that and i and i think there's a lot of uh substance to it that our initial concept of who god is and what he is like is is sort of based on what our earthly father is like right because we hear that god is our father and we go oh well i have a father he's like this whatever that is and so our initial concept of who God is 
is, is probably, if you really think about it for you personally, probably based on how you view your earthly dad. But Jesus says, no, our father, he's not like your earthly father here. He is our father who is in heaven. And, and so if you had a father who was absent, you didn't even know who he is, or who was harsh and critical, the point is clear. That's not who this father is. Or maybe you had a father who was just an amazing, godly man who adored you. One, praise God for that, because that's just rare. But two, as, as great as he is in your eyes, he pales in comparison to your father in heaven. Pales in comparison. But before we, we go on thinking that, oh, God is just this, you know, this warm, snuggly, you know, guy, what comes next? Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means sacred, holy, set apart. See, it's why, while on one hand, God is indeed our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, at the same time, He is holy beyond what we can bear. Holy beyond what we can withstand. You don't have to flip there, but for the sake of time, I'm going to read this to you. Exodus 33. I love this exchange between Moses and God. I think it speaks to both. God is our heavenly Father and God who is hallowed. One, the fact that God would choose to speak to Moses, his servant, is just amazing as he speaks to us. Uh, Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And, and God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the Lord and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy but God said you cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live God in heaven is indeed our father and he is also holy and sacred above all else and remember the context of, of Jesus teaching us this prayer he says when you give to the poor don't do it do it in such a way that people pat you on the back and go oh man he's so generous he's so compassionate he's so loving he's so giving when you pray don't do it to get attention and later he's going to say when you fast don't do it with the motivation of being noticed by men why because god our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, not my name. His, he is worthy of our worship. He and he alone. And, and that should be our heart, that the same God who created us, the same God that created the universe, the same God who, that who wants to have a personal relationship with us, that in our lives and in our prayers, that he his name would be magnified. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Does that phrase, does that represent our prayer life? Like do we, do we have the prayer attitude or the heart attitude and does our life reflect, Lord, please, thy kingdom come, just bring it now. I'm so sick of this world and what it has to offer, which is nothing, that I want your kingdom come now to earth. And since it's not here now, Lord, 
let my life reflect that I, I live a way that, that shows that I believe your kingdom will come. Thy will be done. If you really examine your prayers, is it thy kingdom come, thy will be done, or is it my kingdom come, my will be done? Are we, are we praying for God's glory or for my gain? Because sometimes I think we recognize just how amazing and powerful and awesome God is. And then maybe without knowing it, we want to leverage that to get what we want. God, would you please just get me through school? I'm struggling. Lord, would you please give me a, you know, a wife that will listen and stop whatever. That's not my prayer. I'm just saying some guys, <laughs> some guys might be praying that. Lord, would you? Lord, would you? Right? He's this sacred holy God, and we're going, God, do this for me. Advance my kingdom. Here's my will for you to meet. Our prayers for God's glory or for our gain. So in verses 9 and 10 so far, we, we've covered that, that our prayer life should really reflect a kingdom mentality. Thy kingdom come. And, and Jesus re, restates that or reemphasizes that at the very end. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, so thy kingdom come and thine is the kingdom kind of serve as bookends, right, of this prayer. And so what's in between is sort of how that can be lived out in, in practical terms or what a life of a, of a kingdom citizen looks like if we have a heart uh, and, and a mentality for God's kingdom. So let's look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, just give me today just what I need for today. Just provide enough sustenance for me to survive the next 24-hour period. Is that how we pray? See, God wants us to be totally dependent upon him daily. I don't know that we pray so much for God to just provide, Lord, let me just be content with what you give me today. As much as we might be praying for God to make us rich. Or maybe rich might be strong of a word, but at least really comfortable. Am I the only one who's prayed over a lottery ticket? Because I have. Lord, this lottery is $325 million. You know what? But here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not greedy. Let someone else have the same six winning numbers and I'll share it with them. We, we think, we ask God to just provide for not even just what we need, but for all the things we want. And, and maybe it, it sounds different different for you maybe it's lord give me a job where i can you know provide security for my family but god just wants us to approach him every day asking lord just provide for me today that's why in a couple weeks when we continue through the sermon on that we'll see jesus say hey don't worry about tomorrow as to what you're going to eat what you will drink what you should wear 
God's got you covered for today. You worry about tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. I love this. I do want you to flip over to, to Proverbs chapter 30. It's in the Old Testament. It comes after the book of Psalms, before the book of Ecclesiastes. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 30. I want you to bracket these verses off if you are one who writes in your Bible. Keep your finger on Matthew. We're going to be back there in just a, a moment. Proverbs chapter 30. This is what the author writes. Two things I asked of thee. Do not refuse me before I die. Number one, keep deception and lies far from me. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. See, he's saying, I don't want to be so poor that I'm starving because I'm going I'm to go out and steal and that will be an embarrassment to your name. But you know what, Lord? Please don't make me rich either. Because I know what will happen if you make me rich. I won't depend on you anymore. I'm going to forget that you're my provider. And you know what I think is really cool? I think the first request, remember he had two requests. The first one was, do not refute, I'm sorry, the first one was, keep deception and lies far from me. How are those two related? Keep deception and lies far from me. I think he's asking God, God, don't let the lies and deception of my heart fool me into thinking that I could be rich and still honor you with my life. Our hearts are wicked and deceitful. First and foremost, to us. So the prayer is, Lord, don't let my heart deceive me. I know better. Just give me what I need for today. In Philippians chapter 4, this is what Paul says. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, alas, you have revived your concern for me. In other words, they've started to provide for him again. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. You didn't have resources to help me. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. It's a popular verse, often taken out of context. Paul is saying, it, whether I have a lot of, a lot of abundance or, or I'm just barely getting by, I have learned to be content. Contentment is not something that our heart naturally has. We are naturally discontent. We want more and more. I want the newest iPhone. I want the most expensive pair of Nike shoes. I want a, a car that's reliable. I want a bigger house. And sometimes we try to convince God, and I think it's trying to convince our deceitful hearts that we'll honor God with those things. Oh, Lord, if you gave me a bigger house, I'd host the Alamostone family every weekend. They'd come over, and we, or the crew students would come over, and whatever. Our prayer should be that our hearts would be content just for what God has provided for today. 
when I compare my prayers to the Lord's prayer, I realize I need to change how I'm praying. And it continues. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus just said, forgive me, God, as I have forgiven others. In fact, in verse 14, he elaborates, if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. I got to tell you, if you read uh, commentaries or listen to sermons, you'll hear, you will hear people try to finagle their way out of taking Jesus' teaching literally here. Jesus makes it clear. As much as you will forgive others, that is how God will forgive you. It's not a very uh, comforting thought, but it is a, it is a truth that Jesus teaches not only here, but elsewhere. He's consistent in that teaching. So I know we've, we've learned to recite this prayer, some of us as kids, but really, like, do we know the meaning of what we're asking God? God, forgive me to the extent that I've forgiven everyone who's offended me. In Matthew 18, Peter says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven? What does Jesus reply? Seventy times seven. And we get into these great theological discussions. Well, what does 70 times seven mean? Is it up to 490 times? But what come, who knows what comes after that? Jesus keeps talking. He doesn't stop there. He keeps talking. He tells, he tells a parable. Anyone know what the parable is? Flip to Matthew 18. We're not going to read the whole parable, but here's, here's what he, he tells them. He says there was this, this master who had a slave who owed a ridiculous debt to him. And when the master wanted to go collect, the slave pleaded, just give me more time. And the master went far beyond that. He not only gave more time, he actually he just wiped his debt clean. This huge weight lifted from this slave's shoulders. And then he turns around and, and there's a slave that just owes him just a couple of coins. I mean, it's nothing. And he says, hey, you got the money you owe me? And he pleads, oh, I, I don't have it, but please give me more time and I'll pay you back. And he physically assaults him. Verse 34, and his Lord moved with anger. So his master finds out. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each, if, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let us not be fooled, church. Jesus' teaching is clear. God will forgive us as we have forgiven others who's the person you've forgiven the least why is forgiveness so important in our lives why is forgiveness so important because it is the heart of the gospel we are like that first slave whose debt could never be repaid 
and yet it was just completely canceled out with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It's wiped clean. And if we're not willing to freely forgive others, then we're just like that slave who chokes someone who owes him money. You ever get to the point in your intimate relationship with God, or maybe it's not so intimate, where it just feels like there's some hindrance between you and him? We call it dry time. Oh, I just My walk with God is it's just dry right now. I think a wise thing for us to do when that happens, and it happens to all of us, is to ask God to search our hearts and reveal to us, is there someone that I have not forgiven, who I have not freely and truly generously forgiven. So we're to depend on God daily to provide. We're to forgive others knowing that with that measure of forgiveness, the Lord returns it to us. And then lastly, we are to, to pray for strength to resist temptation to live holy lives. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The book of James tells us that, that we're only tempted because of our sinful nature. What is inside of us gets stirred, and so we want things. We want to do things that we should not. The Lord's Prayer tells us to, in those moments, to pray for God to give us strength to resist temptation so we can be holy. Obviously, church, we will, we will not be without sin while we walk this earth, but we should be sinning less than we have before right we, we are being sanctified in christ so just a couple of quick closing thoughts for us first if we pray as jesus instructs us to then our prayer lives and our really our our life itself will be focused on god's glory rather than my gain we will live lives where our, our heart will be content just for what he has given us today. We will freely forgive others. And we will resist temptation rather than indulge in it. And here's what's really cool. The more we practice this and live this out and, we, and the Spirit leads us, the more we will realize that God's glory is our gain. You know, li living, living a life that delights in our Heavenly Father can bring us a joy that is unmatched by anything else. And that's what God has invited us to. And the last point I want to make about the Lord's Prayer is that it is familial in nature, or in other words, it's, it speaks to family. He didn't say, my father and give me my bread so as i read a couple of words or phrases and i emphasize these again if you write in your bible circle these words our father give us our daily bread forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, a, a prayer life that is 
glorifying to God is a prayer that not only forgets self, but remembers that we're family. That we have the same Father who is in heaven by the grace of Jesus Christ. So what I want us to do as we close is I want you to find someone here, maybe, maybe groups of two or no more than three people. And I want to give, you, give us a chance to practice praying for others. So if you would just share with your partner or two people how we can pray for you. And then I want you to pray for someone in your, in your little group, okay? And we do have a couple of requests that, that um, I'll share with you, give you some more things to pray for. One, I sent it out via email this week, but Amy Wicker's mom passed away last Sunday, so please be in prayer for Amy and the family. Um, and then we got a text from Donna Hart this afternoon. Um, so, you know, you guys may know Donna has been suffering from just a series of health, pretty significant health uh, ailments for years and years. And so um, she's feeling bad again. They've got it. She has to go in and get more tests done. So please keep Donna in your prayers. And then uh, you guys may know Robin, Donna's niece, uh, Danielle, who recently married uh, Rob Dow. Uh, so they were pregnant. She was pregnant and expecting, and unfortunately, um, she miscarried. Uh, so please be in prayer for Danielle and for, uh, for Rob. So please take a moment. Um, if, if the Lord moves in you to go pray with someone specific here in the church family, uh, please do that. Um, don't be shy and go up and walk over to someone. And if you want me to pray for you, I'll, I'll be up here. And um, uh, Tina, would you mind being up here if any of the ladies would like some prayer, like a lady to pray over them? That'd be awesome. Thank you.